Hey, welcome to another episode of the Line Poetry Podcast. I got to talk to Lisa Kwong this time. Actually, um, I talked to her a while ago. This episode is kind of late, <laughs> but I've been moving and I moved from DC to Connecticut, so I have an excuse there. But um, I first heard of Lisa when I read her poem, An Appalachian Finds a Home in Bloomington, Indiana, which was anthologized in the Best New Poets of 2014. And I just loved how funny she was in that poem. Um, And her voice was just great. Um, So I reached out to her to see if we could get an an interview on the books for the Lion Poetry Podcast, and she agreed. Um, Lisa Kwong is really an amazing poet, and and her poems and personal essays have appeared in the Naugatuck River Review, Rebel Society, Benango Street, Appalachian Heritage, Pluck, and a lot of other journals. She's also been honored with scholarships to the Frost Place, and she's also recently received a Pushcart nomination, which is pretty fancy. I asked her a little bit in this episode about uh, what it was like, what it what it's like to become an Asian American writer, um, and how she depicts the Asian American experience through her writing, and what her revision process is like. So stay tuned, and I hope you enjoy. I call myself an Appalachian, an Asian from Appalachia. I rock leopard print and black stilettos, write protest emails to Victoria's Secret, wear brooks and flat footproof orthotics. After 5K brunch is a French tickler, a ham and cream cheese crepe, mimosa with cherry. I victory dance in the basement sterile of Valentine, break into song upon hearing the word lonely. I travel to Greece and Taiwan vicariously through the men I liked. I am from letting go of the man who left for Florida. I push up and bird dog, lemon squeeze and tricep dip as sweat, has, as sweat hisses every breath, a billowing kite lifting my body higher and sore. I keep a flashlight in the bathroom just in case I have to hunker down in the bathtub while a tornado blasts through the parking lot. I am from tea parties and Scrabble, Pink Moscato and Poetiers, Exploding Tacos, Chicken and Dumplings. I, Appalachian up this Midwest college town, eat chicken feet, mac and cheese, celebrate butts and ancestors. I am from a fridge covered in babies, none of them mine, postcards and handwritten poems received via snail mail. I ponder the mirror, study the woman before me, see the tear-stained tub of lard, see the runner's legs, see the glittering Cinderella blue earring heart. So I first 
found you um, when I was flipping through the Best New Poets of 2014, and I read your poem in Appalachian Finds um, Home in Bloomington, Indiana, and I just loved it because it depicts the Asian American experience, but in such a real way, you know, not like in the stereotypical way. I mean, you grew up in Appalachia, and that's so not an Asian American place. It's not a place where there's a lot of Asian Americans. Um, but it kind of speaks to how much there's a diversity of ex Asian American experience in America. Um, and so I really love that. I was wondering um, when you started writing about your Asian American identity, because for me, it took me a long time to start writing about it. So is that something that you've always done or is that something that you kind of grew into? So I did start writing about my gingin when I was still in college, but she passed away when I, I was just a fr like two weeks into my freshman year at college. So even like, you know, f two, three, four years after, it was still too close to the actual event. You know, I was still, I was still grieving in a sense, even though obviously I knew she wasn't alive anymore, that I couldn't see her anymore. Um, but it wasn't until I got to my MFA program that I felt like my game poems really um, hit home. <laughs> um, and I think it was because of just that much time had passed, I was able to um, not get so caught up in the emotion of the event. And I, you know, I really admire poets who are able to write stunning poems in response to current events. Um, but I'm, I don't think I'm that kind of po poet. I mean, I will, you know, reference current events or, you know, I think one prompt that one of my professors ha um, had us do was, you know, write a poem based off a newspaper headline or, or, or news headline. Um, but yeah, I think I'm the You know, I, I would also describe myself as sort of a slow person, so I think it makes sense for me to have that distance in order for me to write effectively about experience without getting too emotional about it. Because um, my younger sister was in a really terrible car accident um, in 2010, and it was just, I don't know, there. it was one of those... Uh, She's okay, thank God. So, um, but it was one of those events where it was really stranger, like literally stranger than fiction, because um, and her name's Helene, and she she she's okay with me talking about her. So, and she'll be mad if I don't mention her name because um, there's this one poem I was gonna read at my thesis reading, but I cut it because of time. And because I cut that poem, when I said all my thank yous and shout outs to people who had like, you know, traveled to see me, I forgot to mention her and she was so mad. <laughs> so shout out to Helene because she's probably going to listen to this uh, and laugh the whole time because I'm, I'm, I'm like the, the family clown. But um, yeah, right. Um, but yeah, Helene was in a really bad car accident and it was on her 25th birthday um, she landed on her head, started having a seizure, um, but two EMTs happened to be passing by and were able to, to pretty much save her life. And, um, 
you know, I tried writing a poem about that in 2012, and that was only two years after it had happened. And it was still, for a while, it was still very um, traumatic, you know, every time, you know, that time would come. And it, I mean, it's, it's her birthday, you know, it happened on her birthday. So it was kind of, the first two birthdays after that were kind of traumatic. Um, so, um, so yeah, I, I, you know, it was funny. I think I actually did have that, and I brought that poem to workshop and I think it was her birthday and it was just it was too much like I you know like no one spoke <laughs> in the room after I read the poem and like one of my colleagues later said that she really wanted to say okay can we not do this guys but you know I had presented it as work to be critiqued so they went ahead and critiqued it as you know a poem so <laughs> So, but yeah, I, I think I'm definitely the kind of writer that needs distance in order to, you know, I need time to process things, so. Um, so I'm going to read one of your poems from The Still Journal. It's called On the 42nd Anniversary of My Father's Swim to China, um, from China, and then maybe we can talk about it. On the 42nd anniversary of my father's swim from China, October 17th, 2015. Suspended between shores, you watch your friend's tire disappear beneath bluish black waters, never to resurface. When you agree to swim together, you promise to keep going, even if some could not go on. Someone must reach the shore of freedom. This journey must not be in vain. You keep swimming, your family's voices echoing from the home you left, your son and daughter's faces etched on clouds. Your limbs grow heavier after the first hour. You keep time by the shifting sky, one arm, one leg moving after the other, strong strokes slicing cold Taiping Bay. Salt slides from your eyelashes. The sun is a blinking siren. Spotting a shark fin in the distance, you quiet your strokes, your eyes still on Hong Kong. Even the fear of being eaten alive cannot stop you. You want to live to see your babies grow up, to grow old with your wife. You cannot fail as a man, as the head of your family. You keep swimming, believe your blood father is watching, the father you never knew. You must keep swimming to rewrite history. His early death will not be yours. You will live even though your legs feel like sacks of rice. You believe there is something stronger than exhaustion. This is why you continue to kick towards freedom. This is why you won't stop until your feet touch shallow ground again. This is love spanning generations of blood, red legacies that will survive shark bites, the ghosts of family secrets. You must keep swimming to reach the shore where you will be reborn, a tiger emerging. So that's a really powerful poem for me, um, especially because I resonate with a lot of the imagery in there, um, since my family also immigrated from China. Um, how did you get the idea for this poem? Um, so this actually started as, as an essay 
Um, I did try attempt to write like a a family history piece in my creative nonfiction workshop, and you know I got to this um, event, and you know it was honestly probably just a paragraph um, in that essay because I was like, well, I I, th I remember. So I remember the workshop. I think um, they were like, you know, we really want to know what this feels like. And I'm like, well, I wasn't there, you know. And they were like, but you can imagine you were there. So, um, so yeah, I actually um, returned to this idea, uh, I think, last May. And I, you know, I'd written it down in my journal and I didn't do anything with it until it was, you know, the day that's the date that's listed um, on in the title. And I remembered that poem, and I took it out, and I, you know, I started, I, I typed it up, and I read it, and I was like, okay, I have something here. You know, this this poem is a keeper, and um, you know that that's not always the case for me. I write a lot of bad poems, <laughs> poems before I get to the good ones, but this one. Um, overall felt very natural, um, to me, and, you know, again, my, my friends were like, you know, when I read it to them, they were like, well, you know, yeah, this, this could be an essay, too, and I'm like, I don't want it to be an essay, <laughs> I don't want it to be an essay, um, but, yeah, this is one of the poems I worked on with Gabby, and, you know, it's now online, as you know, so. Um, so how did you decide that this was going to be a poem and not an essay? Um, so I think I wanted this to be a poem because um, it's a very focused moment in time. And it's, I, you know, you, you hear, I don't know, I, I hear my friends saying that they don't want this like imagistic, you know, story or imagistic essay so as I, I tried to be as imagistic as possible um I also think that um you know I don't write a lot of I write a lot of poems with you know using the I voice and this is in second person and I like the kind of like the ambiguity of you know is it you know the father figure that's saying you you know talking to himself or is it me you know, so I kind of like that amb ambiguity um, of the point of view, yeah. You talk a lot from your father's point of view, you know, you talk about um, you must keep swimming to rewrite history, His, uh, you will live even though your legs will feel like sacks of rice, and you also talk about um, from your father's point of view how you cannot fail as a man and you want to see your kids grow up et cetera, et cetera. Um, how did you know that that was what your father was thinking or was that just something that you imagined? You know, I don't want to speak for all immigrant children, but I think it, the, the idea, um, I've been wrestling with the idea of what does it mean to write about events where you weren't actually there. And I first, um, I know this kind of happens, um, or has been happening, starting to happen in my writing. But the when I, I guess the um, impetus for me thinking about that was when I would read um, collections of poems um, by Japanese American authors who tried to um, reimagine 
uh, Japanese internment. You know, they were the descendants of internees. So um, I'm not sure what point I have, but yeah, I, w I was um, just really trying to put myself in the position of my father doing this. So. Is there anything that changed majorly from the beginning of this poem to how the poem is now? So the poet Gabrielle Calacaresi, um, so she's actually doing like a year of consultations in exchange for donations to charities or for refugee charities or other charities that she designates. Um, so she's worked a lot with me on my stanzas because I, I came to her with these poems that I had showed my friends, and they were like, you know, these are these seem like essays, Lisa. They're not, they don't, or they seem like essays more than poems. Maybe you should try them as essays. And um, when I talked to Gabby and showed her this poem, she was like, well, you know, I think the reason that they're saying that is because your, your stanzas are so big, you know. So she um, had me try these exercises where... Um, I think with like the father swimming, the, sw the swimming poem, um, she had me break it up from the original into, I had one version with couplets and then another version with uh, tercets. I think it was some other poems, but with that poem, um, she also got on my case about um, always starting my sentences <laughs> at the beginning of the line. So I think with the swimming poem, that was more focusing on the sentences and breaking the lines and um, more unexpected places. best advice that you've ever gotten from another poet? Um, so I will say, and I'll, I'll give him a shout out because he, he's just won so many incredible awards in the last um, month. Ross Gay, he was the first person to really, um, well, maybe not the first person, but I guess in terms of my MFA program, he really pushed me to um, write my poems more based on sound rather than sticking so close, holding so tightly to the narrative. Because he could tell I was a narrative poet, but he, he felt like something was missing. And um, so I started, so under his instruction, um, which was during my first year, second semester, um, he told me to let the sound, the sounds of the poem propel it forward as I'm writing, as opposed to um, just, you know, writing, report, you know, reporting what happened. I mean, I've been guilty of just reporting what happened in my life. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I've been, you know, and, you know, once he worked with me that semester, I started hearing, you know, when I would go to readings, I started hearing, like, similar sounds, and I was like, oh, okay, that's, that's what he means, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna try this in my writing it also um, helps me determine um, or decide between certain word choices based on sound. So. And how do you think that emphasis on sound has changed the way you write your poems? I think definitely the, the I'll call them sound experiments that I did um, with Ross. Um, 
I, I definitely, yeah, it wasn't a comfortable way for me to write. So it, it really did push me to um, make more associative leaps. So what do you mean by associative leaps? How do you, how do you make those associative leaps? Um, just kind of like letting, again, letting the sound propel the poem. So not worrying so much about the narrative or the, the logic of what I'm saying, but just letting, you know, the words come from the sound. When you sit down to revise a poem, what is your process like? Where do you start? You know, this is some this is advice that I give my students too. Um, I guess I try to focus on one thing at a time. So I start like I read through the the draft and I make notes to myself. And I again, this is advice I tell to my students. You know, I try to prioritize. You know, what are the most like the weakest links of the poem, and then. Um, yeah, I try to, to work through each element at a time. What, ch- what changed the way that I read, which you know, obviously influenced the way that I write, is um, it was the book, I think it's Reading as a Writer by Francine Prose. And I think what resonated with me very much was really taking in each unit of writing, each sentence, each paragraph, and you know, figuring out how it works and, and like why the writer made those decisions and it's kind of funny um I feel like when I teach like there are certain catchphrases that I say over and over um and it it can vary from semester to semester but it seems like in this semester's composition class I'm always telling them you know pay attention to the writer's decisions pay attention to your decisions you know why are you doing this you know you're not just throwing words down on on the page without any kind of you know logic you know there's um a purpose behind the way that you structure things that is it from me and the lovely poet lisa kwan um you can find her on twitter at poet ambassador p-o-e-t-a-m-b-a-s-s-a-d-o-r and i am at american haiku we can find show notes at linepoetrypodcast.tumblr.com and i would love to hear from you to hear which uh, poets you'd like to hear from next which poets you'd like to pick their brains or ask them questions so definitely drop me a line if you have some ideas until next time bye